0: Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Park, psychologist from the UCR Counseling and Psychological Services. Uh, On Let's Get Psyched, we talk about the controversial and challenging issues facing society from a psychological and psychiatric perspective and the clinical implications in practice. Um, Remember that um, all the views expressed today are those of the speaker, and they do not represent UCR, UCR Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. I'm joined by my co hosts, uh, third year psychiatry resident, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, hey, Tosha. Dr. Parks. First year psychiatry resident, Dr. Joshua Boole. Hi, Josh. Hi, Dr.
1: Parks.
0: And first year psychiatry resident, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Ortega. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Hello, Thank Dr. You Parks. Here.
0: And we're joined once again by our special guest for our Part 2 edition on Psychedelics by special guest host, uh, -host, co-host, second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Kevin Simonson. Hi, Dr. Simonson.
3: Hi, thanks for having me, Dr. Parks. I can call you Kevin, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, Now, we wanted this uh, um, show, uh, Part 2 on Psychedelics, because we felt it couldn't be packed into just one show, but before we start, we want to say that... uh, these medications have a potential for abuse and toxicity and so you don't want to experiment on yourself you want to consult your doctor if you're struggling with some symptoms or you are looking for some improvement in your life um, uh, Consult an expert okay so um, let's get kinda of pick up where we left off um, is there a right to use psychedelics or should there be a right for people that don't have a mental illness to use psychedelic medication we've got a a little bit of a doorway opening up with Denver and perhaps maybe Oakland uh, decriminalizing it what do
3: people think yeah so this brings up the topic of cognitive liberty which is the idea that people have the freedom to think within their own minds um, at their own will and as long as you're not doing something to harm another person or harm yourself, um, that these medicines for the betterment of well people should not be illegal.
0: Where would you draw the line? I mean, are we talking um, recreational use of drugs? Where, where would you say, uh, um, like, would you draw the line on certain drugs or would, would you say um, uh, if there's only proof of abuse, then you would start drawing the line? Where would you?
1: So did you read um, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind? No. So in his book, he talks about how there's this whole system of basically therapists who guide people in a controlled setting um, through different psychedelics. Like he goes on his own journey guided by various. What does he call them? What are they called in the book?
4: Guides or shaman Gu- okay, yeah, things.
1: guides, yeah, and he does. He describes his journey with uh, psilocybin, MDMA, um, DMT, DMT, and was there any other ones? No, but yeah, um, so, so DMT. It's Ayahuasca supervised. Or- he doesn't have any mental health issues. Um, it's just kind of to explore his own mind, his own, yeah.
0: But so he's first consulting these guides or these shamans that who have had experience with this, um who who have guided people before with taking some of these substances, know how much to take.
1: Right. So uh, they have maybe a place lot them in the right settings. Yeah, sorry, and what? you know Michael Pollan, he's a a journalist, so he does a lot of research going into it, looking into various guides and he um sets up like interviews with multiple guides and he goes through even in the book the process of um, deciding, no, I don't want this guide after all because of X, Y, and Z, and then how he finally selects the person who he wants to guide him on these journeys.
0: So do you foresee a society where we um, um, regulate this and we certify these guides?
4: That I mean, that might be requisite. That might be a, a, a useful, at least first step, because... Before we have scientific
0: research it's complete? complete enough to...
4: I think they kind of move hand in hand. So we're getting, you know, the MDMA assisted psychotherapy trial is in phase three right now. And there was a, a meta-analysis that just came out, right, Kevin? About some of the results of that. Well, how many was it? Like 130? Yeah, 150, about. I 150 think. people. And y- we're learning more and more about them. And we do have a great deal of information that was accrued during their original sort of introduction back in the 60s, uh, the 50s to the 70s, early, early 70s, before they were rescheduled and made um, illegal but as the information comes out, we're finding that there's a lot of good that they can do. However, one of the mantras of um, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is set setting and dose. You know, how, um, Set is your mindset going in. How are you thinking about these things? Or you have to be a little bit primed. So there is, there is sort of a, a suggestibility to them. The setting, where is it occurring? Is it in a therapeutic, calm sort of area? Or is it, you know the Way they've been used recreationally sometimes in you know uh, party like settings, like at a rave where alcohol's involved, where there's mixing, Lots where there's not, con- there's no kind of control, and then the dose obviously. I mean, taking heroic doses of these very powerful chemicals can be dangerous, but if each of those was regulated, we'll say, and guided by somebody who is approved in the type of therapies we we would allow people to do. So, for instance, like we can't practice therapy on people without some training same i'm sure dr parks you can't as well without somebody saying okay you are not going to harm this person you're going to do it a particular way so that we know that this is the most useful for somebody i think we already have a lot of systems in place that could facilitate that
0: but uh, let's be realistic that is going to be this is my thought that's going to be so far in the future so many years in the future how many of you i'm just gonna put you on the spot how many of you would be open to taking this yourself or experimenting yourself based on just libertarian um, kind of notions about, you know, if I if I decide this is something that I wanna try or if I wanna, um, you know, seek out uh, someone who's experienced and a guide, then I would do I, it.
1: I personally feel, sorry, I personally feel like it's a pretty exciting frontier that is accessible to everybody, you know, not everybody can go to space, not everyone can explore the deep sea, but our own mind Uh, we can, we can all do that. I, I oftentimes talk about therapy, encourage my patients to, um, try therapy out by explaining it this way, that, um, this is, it's a privilege, um, of being human, that you know, most animals don't have the privilege of insight or um, being able to make change based on self-reflection. But as humans, we we do have that ability, and um, we can make beautiful changes from from that power.
0: Yeah, facilitated by these substances,
1: right? Yeah. So or not? I, I, right. But so these substances, in my mind, I think of them as kind of faster ways to achieve results yeah, like in therapy yes a shortcut
3: yeah so some people will say anecdotally from mdma therapy that it felt like getting 10 years of therapy done in one session because they were able to go so deeply into their trauma and into the inner workings of their mind that they normally don't have access to and i think the, the real import and value of that is that this could facilitate people on their developmental process, their personal development, right? There are certain stages of personal development that we know about, and it all kind of culminates in self-actualization. You know, in in Maslow's model, the, the top of the pyramid is like fully really being able to look into yourself clearly and be okay with it and really accept what's there. So I think that these medicines can really help facilitate that process of personal development, moving through stages of growth with the caveat that they require therapeutic support from someone who knows the territory, knows the landscape, and can help guide, point out signposts along the way. But ultimately, it is up to the individual to do the work themselves. But they certainly require support along the way in order to make sure they don't uh, go off the rails or end up in- So this support and guidance, would it be,
0: the, the, the person saying, Okay, so we want to look at certain feelings that might be warning signs or certain thoughts or certain intentions that you might have, that's that's when we know we're going in the wrong direction or or maybe the dose is too high. What what are we talking about when what is the actual guidance?
3: Yeah, so the guidance is often described as non directive or supportive therapy. So you're not telling somebody this is what you need to think about now, or uh, let's go a different direction from where you are at this moment. It's more meeting the patient where they are, um, helping them to feel comfortable in that space. So one of the biggest things is actually just surrendering to the experience of of what you're seeing inside of your own mind. Because a lot of people will have uh, an inherent resistance to material that comes up, to anxiety, to trauma, to scary thoughts. And so therapist can be really integral in just allowing the individual to accept what's happening how much their own is that experience. a part
0: of having a quote bad trip the 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 idea where the person is is yeah. very resistant to yeah. opening up and allowing that experience to occur
3: that is absolutely critical that's an essential part so um, the flight instructions that Michael Pollan gives um, which he received from, from the flight therapist instructions. flight instructions <laughs> are are you know when you're going on on one of these journeys, If if you see a staircase, go up it. If you see a door, open open it. it. (laughs) If you see a monster,
4: approach it.
2: Ask why are you
3: here? And say,
4: What are you doing in my
3: mind? What can you teach me? First and
4: foremost you do not you do not run from anything that happens in the experience. Very accepting. Surrender, not resistance.
1: That's exciting, and they okay. they
4: find a lot of benefit in. And so, uh, some of the earlier studies done with like psilocybin and cancer patients, actually, so people who had a terminal diagnosis, and they were giving psilocybin for uh, the anxiety associated with that, and sort of this fear of death. And what they found was um, a considerable portion of the patients who were enrolled in this study, um, no longer had depression or anxiety regarding their uh, diagnosis following. Because, uh, and we touched on this a little bit in the first episode, but we could probably go into it a little bit more if we need to. Um, But part of the experience, depending on the default mode network, is sort of this ego death that occurs. This loss of a thing that you would call yourself and that can almost act as a stand-in for a type of death, but a death that you can experience and know, oh wait, everything's gonna be okay. So a lot of people even report that they see their own death and that they feel that they can release, that they can let go and then live a higher quality life following the experience without having this looming issue of the anxiety of death that occurs with it.
0: Now this idea of acceptance <clears throat> I'm I'm very uh, agreeable to that because I feel like all my therapy starts with that as a basic kind of skill to develop. Like you want to accept, you know, all your thoughts, all your feelings as they occur, kind of a very moment in the moment kind of acceptance. So that if it's facilitating that kind of uh, experience or kind of response to what's going on in yourself, then that sounds that does sound positive.
4: Yeah. I mean. I mean, it's and it's very powerful. And the other thing it's that needs empowering. to be said, it's empowering. Yeah, yeah you're allowed to acknowledge and um, claim all of your emotions as they are. You know, there's no judgment that can occur with each one that occurs. Now, but uh, I do want to say, yeah, the thing is, before these experiences, I think we said this a little bit in the first episode. There is there are several episodes of therapy that occur with your guide beforehand so you can lay some of the groundwork so you can establish rapport you go on the experience and then you also have these integrative sessions afterward where they bring up the things that were said to you or or the things that you said to yourself during that time or what you experienced so that you can work with that this is not just go home take some psilocybin enjoy your time it's like this is very structured you receive therapy beforehand you receive therapy during and you receive therapy afterward
0: now what do you know what's involved with some of this um, prep work is it is part? is it partly um, how much is it setting the right tone and pre- preparation just for the intense experience and how much is it is looking for possible counter indications of that that this is not for you
4: so some of the counterindications that so far have come up are obviously a family history or a personal history of certain types of severe mental illness including schizophrenia or bipolar one or bipolar two um, we're n- we're not seeing thus far that this is really what those medicines would be used for. It's more for the ruminative type disorders like anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and addiction.
0: Now, has anyone known anyone's had a negative experience with psychedelics? Has anyone... It's all positive.
4: Well, I you know, ask, are you asking, um, like, recreationally yeah, or therapeutically?
0: Uh, or, uh, I guess both, you know.
2: I haven't had one, but, like, let me just... Going to that question, like, um, in touching what you were saying, that there are specific treatments that are being developed, research right now, on um, phase trials for specific things at microdosing, meaning we only use a low dose of the psychedelic.
0: Now, is that as for the point therapy? of just right. gradually increasing it, or why would you
2: have a microdose? I think it has to do with um, it. it's compared so to the...
1: I'm sorry that's what they're doing in Silicon Valley where they're mm-hmm. trying to increase creativity at work
0: so we have a lot of people at Google and uh, Apple that are yeah. that's that the new iPhone is going to be inspired by um, some magic mushrooms really
4: <laughs> oh no you Uh-oh. don't it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the oh uh, Apple m MM and version. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: I mean, remember I, when the iPhone X came out and that screen, the screen going on was like, was moving and it, it seemed very psychedelic, right? <laughs> Wasn't uh, Steve the colorful Jobs seen
2: yeah. psychedelics at some point? And also another you know, founder of uh, one of the organic food companies. I can't remember the name right now.
1: I don't know. I know
2: that Casey Musgraves' album was inspired by an LSD trip. <laughs>
0: So do you see any problem with having almost this kind of uh, um, array? Like, I want to be more creative, so I'll, I'll microdose with this. Medication. Like as a I cognitive enhancer? Yeah. Like, do you see any problem with that whatsoever in the future, like years in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, if you're just joining us we uh we're you're listening to let's get psyched we're having part two of our our topic on psychedelics we're joined by our special guest dr kevin simonson um yeah we're talking we're talking about uh how this can create or lead to optimal functioning basically people that don't have mental illnesses but they want a little something extra they want to feel a little better they want to be more creative they want to enjoy life um in a um a more enhanced uh kind of mindset is that fair to say and they want to improve the quality of their life basically the subjective experience of life
1: so i feel like in response to your question i want to bring up how i feel like that that is already being done you know like people use supplements in a way caffeine they c- caffeine um um like kind of that nicotine uh,
3: stimulants a lot of college students are getting prescriptions mm-hmm. for Ritalin Adderall these types of things and so one of the anecdotes about microdosing is that it actually decreases people's need for stimulants to have to use those as much hmm. um, and so I think so it answer, could be a replacement kind of thing it could, it could be a replacement because
0: right yeah. now all yeah. the society has is um, alcohol and caffeine and nicotine yeah And it's, I guess we now we know animals. how damaging it's, it's, alcohol
4: is right. like Right. We've yeah. known that for centuries. We've known how and terrible this is. nicotine
2: is. And there's some statistics. I don't know if you guys know about this, but I, I think in The Lancet, one of the main journals, academic journals, uh, the study in 2010 of the psychedelics, they were comparing how safe these substances are versus all these that we name alcohol, nicotine, and others. Or we even Ca- caffeine. I, I don't have a statistic on caffeine, but I probably did that too. And they said among the 19 common psychoactive substances, it was, like, the safest, and it was 12 times safer than alcohol, four times safer than tobacco, and and then also kind of comment on that really doesn't increase mental health issues, but I think this also has to do with the people who don't have the predisposition, don't have some of the maybe thought disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar, mood, others. Um, so we also, I guess, we have to dissect it and be also careful and like oh we're not just gonna recommend everybody do lsd mushrooms and everything because also different those and it also has to do with the setting like we're saying and all the things yeah right? you it just seems very i'm sorry
0: Sorry, where you get it
2: right and and i i guess i have a different experiences from you know growing up in, in back home in mexico you know i i used to play soccer football you know after school with the drug addicts and these people i'm, I'm not sure if they're what were they, they using? They had mushrooms at the time. Oh, okay. It was mainly what I know, of course, wheat, you know, probably uh, methamphetamine um, or synthetics, sometimes maybe heroin, they can afford it. And I do have a negative connotation to drugs just because of what i seen. And if you ask me, that was when I was, what, I don't know, 12 years old. If you ask me right now, none of them are alive. But I also have all the things going on, right? Like maybe they had addiction, maybe they already had mental illness they were on the streets you know they could not really support themselves for whatever reason which one came first I'm not sure but seeing it now as a scientist as a doctor psychiatrist I am for what is being studied like if we have evidence if we have exciting new treatments we should definitely you know work on those like do better studies right
0: it's almost like we're saying you, we want to change the relationship we have with some of these d- drugs that, you know, for years we've they've had this like um, high amount of stigma or maybe from our own personal experience that uh, maybe if we change the relationship we have with them or how we see them early on, then we can be almost taught to use them in a, in a way that we can enhance our lives mm-hmm. or enhance the quality of our lives. Do you feel that way?
4: Uh, yeah, I think it's all. I think it's a lot of just social conditioning about what we've lumped together. There was a pretty aggressive media campaign that occurred during the rescheduling of all of these, or initial scheduling of them, um, from the 70s onward, where we were told what that they they'd be doing. But a lot of the evidence didn't really purport that. That you know, this is your brain on drugs. Maybe some drugs. Like I wouldn't recommend people do methamphetamine or PCP, but maybe psilocybin or uh lsd ketamine even an ayahuasca experience with a trained guide something i wouldn't recommend any of these like um at this point because they are you know not not legal
0: to do it just by yourself or without any help or anything
4: but i do see the promise in these as therapies in the future when they become legal when they they get the the evidence becomes more widespread we get more studies that kind of back up what would happen. And then we can see once like MDMA, for instance, in MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for treatment-resistant PTSD, um, that's been fast-tracked by the FDA for breakthrough, as a breakthrough designation for for treatment-resistant PTSD, right, Kevin? Yeah.
3: So also to speak to the stigma part, I think part of it is that our society is very used to ordinary states of consciousness and just augmenting those. So it's very socially acceptable to use coffee or tea in the morning to get to work, to be a productive worker. And it's uh, socially acceptable when you get home to drink some beer and relax so that you can do it again the next day. Right. And so really, it is social conditioning in the sense that we want people to be productive members of society, almost in a mechanistic type of way. When you think about what LSD, psilocybin, ketamine, these psychedelic medicines are doing, it's very non-ordinary states of consciousness these are cultivating. It's more about abstract random. It's more about creativity. It's more about perspectives. And I think where this is becoming relevant in our society is that depression is such an epidemic Mm epidemic anxiety is such an epidemic. And part of it may be because our society has been so industrialized and mechanized and people feel uh, like their personhood and their humanity is not being spoken to. And so part of the promise of the psychedelic medicines is that we may be able to regain some of that essentially human value in our ability to self-reflect, to be happy, whole, healthy people uh, as a result of our internal psychological process and being able, like we said, to accept what's what's underneath the hood, so to speak, uh, in the mind.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think I agree with you that a lot of some of the stigma is is to the extent that it's interfering with the, this kind of Protestant work ethic, where it's going to interfere with our productivity, mm-hmm. or we're just going to be and, and, in right, this kind of culture war. Um, but, you know, perhaps if we did um, utilize these these uh, substances uh, more healthily and more um, to the benefit of our cognitive uh, functioning and, and enhancement of our experience, maybe it, just, uh, the entire society would change.
4: Yeah.
0: You know, as far as, like, so we wouldn't be so uh, driven and maybe uh, have so many I'd type A. 70s, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, that's, that's why they had the anti-war, anti-war movement. Yeah. Yeah. The
3: Do you chaos. think we'd have less war? I think we would. Yeah. I think there'd be more empathy Possible. and compassion. Uh, I think perspectives would be more plural, be able to see things from many different viewpoints Mm -hmm. at the same time. And um, yeah, I think, so progressive models of leadership, like we were talking about at Google and in Silicon Valley, a lot of that is moving towards a model of giving workers more autonomy. So we're not gonna sit here and monitor you and count your hours. We're actually give you time to work on your own projects. Yeah, and that allows the workers to be happier and healthier such that they are more productive. I think it was necessary uh, for a time period in our society that we went through an industrialization where we did look at ourselves as extensions of the assembly line. But we're beyond that now. This is postmodern, right? We, we need to, to become whole again so that we can address some of the, the larger issues that are happening. The like losses incurred and during yeah, from that time. Right, the externalities, the climate change, the mm-hmm. pollution, all these things that now we're coming around and realizing – okay, the way that we were mechanized is not sustainable.
4: And with the rise of automation, perhaps there is less of a reliance on human bodies doing this type of repetitive labor right. yeah. so maybe maybe that could be looked at as a way of why there's been this resurgence in interest in psychedelics is that suddenly the steam valve has been released a little bit because there's not such a reliance on people doing predictable modes of behavior mm-hmm. you wake up you have your caffeine you go to work you go home you have a beer you wake up and do it again the next day now it's like well Maybe we don't need that as much now with the rise of automation. Maybe we need something that involves more creativity because all of the manualized labor is being done for us.
0: Yeah, society is changing, so that you're right. That kind of work is valued more, so then therefore, substances that can maybe enhance that are yeah. being valued more
2: and used. Yeah. To yeah. add to add to that, like I think we're also discussing or should discuss like how is this pertinent to different age groups like adolescent, child and adolescent, because we do that in psychiatry, right? And there's, for other substances like cannabis, it's it's usually not recommended, you know, for certain age groups. If you're, you know, when your brain is developing, you know, teenage, adolescent years, early, before 18. So I'm not sure, but do we know how is that approach in terms of psychedelics?
3: So, there is a proposal that uh, there may be a phase four study on MDMA for PTSD in adolescents who have severe trauma that's not responding to any other treatments. I think if psychedelics are going to be used in adolescents, it's going to be in a very controlled setting for very specific purposes. Um, but to draw a parallel, human societies have been using uh, mind altering chemicals as parts of rites of passage rituals in indigenous societies, for example, for millennia. And that setting is very controlled. The elders are administering and they take it very seriously, and it's not something they ever do outside of that. doesn't seem sign. to have
0: addiction or long-term consequences, or... Right,
3: right. It, it, it kind of opens, the the mind is, is very um, plastic at that time, or, or it's undergoing a lot of changes, and so it's a window of opportunity to really help that individual uh, transition into adulthood or to accept the beliefs of their culture uh, in a meaningful way. Um, In our society, what we see is more indiscriminate, illicit drug use among adolescents. They're doing it secretively. They're doing it in high doses, in multiple combinations, in risky environments. And um, I think that if we have a way of regulating it and and doing it in a a way that really is catered towards mental health and vetted uh, in that direction, that it would be a huge improvement over what we're
4: currently doing. And I I did want to comment that does make me think a little bit about, um, so historically this has been guided by sort of a shamanistic tradition. And then, you know, when it's being used currently, there is more of a thought that it's a guide that's doing this. And I think psychiatry is perfectly positioned. Psychiatry and psychology are perfectly positioned at this intersection of being sort of almost inheriting the shamanistic tradition.
0: Oh, how convenient, Dr. Poole. <laughs> 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 you can control our psychedelic uh, use. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, well, I, I agree with you. Yeah.
4: I, I mean, so, isn't psychiatrists that what, do, uh, yeah, right. What the, we do in therapy? Therapy. The episode where our
1: name changed from witch doctors to. Love oh, okay. exactly. <laughs> and I, uh,
4: I won't comment on the transition. <laughs> no, I'm from sorry, witch we don't doctors. have to comment on personal That's experiences. <laughs> yeah, continue. There's your thought. There's your thought. I'm sorry. My, my thought is basically our society. Oh, I'll say American modern society, postmodern society. We don't occasion a lot of room for mystical experiences. The religion religion is on an you know, all time low in this country, and there's not really a place for that perhaps with our reliance on science, um, that this is sort of the intersection for where the mystical experience can re-enter into where uh, where we are as a okay, society. Okay, is the
0: decline in Protestant uh, <laughs> Christianity and Catholicism, is that allowing more of a rise in the use of these substances? I would argue yes.
1: I, would, I think I would that it's yes. a rise in spirituality is allowing this conversation to happen in the mainstream.
0: And and, and you define spirituality like search for
4: meaning or how do you define it?
1: Yeah, like not necessarily religion-based.
4: Something that unifies you to something more than yourself, I'd say. And do you
0: feel like a part of the stigma has to do with um, religion?
4: Yeah, I think religion has has carried a lot of cultural baggage with it. And, I mean, this has centuries and centuries of cultural baggage, whereas psychedelics have maybe 50 years of cultural baggage.
0: Are there any religions that are pro- use of psychedelic medications. yes
3: the santo daime in brazil they uh, merge catholic tradition with uh, indigenous use of ayahuasca
0: well we are going to have to uh talk about <laughs> a, a religion and, and spirituality at a future show that'll do it for this show um this is our part two on psychedelics you have been listening to let's get psyched thank you very much to our producer elliot fong For our co-hosts, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi, Dr. Joshua Poole, Dr. Edgar Ortego, and our special guest, uh, Dr. Kevin Simonson, I'm Dr. Aaron Parks. Good night. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more. Next week, let's get psyched.